So you're on Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM, you're on Behind the Lines, you're with Scotty, and we have brought you all the way to Bendigo today. We're in Bendigo, a beautiful little bustling metropolis in the middle of a flattish sort of rolling plain somewhere in Victoria. We're joined, or I have joined, you haven't joined me, I've joined you. I'm so yes, we're joined by Ian McBurney and Claire Fountain. G'day, how are you? Very good. Very, Very good. good. Thank you, yeah. Nice to have you here. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, glad yeah. you navigated the flat plains to find us. Oh, well, I was thinking, you know, where I'm from, there's ridges and rivers, and you can navigate quite easily over a large distance <coughs> with those. But walking around here, hmm. well, it's we not don't really ridgy or rivery. No, no, we don't have a river. We had gold. And, um, so we're a classic for that American Indian T-shirt that says, you know, only when the last money has been, the last tree has been cut down, will you realise you cannot eat money? Yes. And we, that's all we had, money. So that's when it. we started. <laughs> <laughs> but let's go, let's go to Bendigo here. It is sort of flattish. Um, what, what's it like in terms of the, the hydrology here? I like to think in catchment terms. Where did your water come from? Is there some mountains off in the distance that you get? The water from? Not really. We're part of the Loddon River system, so a lot of the water flows. Like we have the Benigat Creek going through town, which mm-hmm. is a series of beautiful water holes, um, but we don't have really a river system. You have to go north about 45 minutes to an hour to hit the Loddon River. Yeah, right. Um, <coughs> it's so not just Nimitabil that doesn't have a river, right? <laughs> no, no. So, yeah, catch, we're, we're part of the North Central um, Catchment Management Authority mm-hmm. area, um, but that that's quite a big area. It goes way up, way up north to the Murray, and then it goes sideways and sideways a little bit. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But catchment-wise, it's probably uh, one of the only cities in Australia where you ask that question and you're not going to get much of an answer. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. So what uh, what happens around here? Uh, is agriculture, industry. What, what's what's the general thing that people do around here? That is farming. Um, so there's lots of broad acre farming. If you go east of Bendigo towards um, Pyramid Hill and up towards Mildura, there's um, yeah lots of paddocks with things growing in, depending on the time of year, livestock as well. There's also a really healthy um, primary production network. So we have the Bendigo Farmers Market and connected to that is the Food Fossickers Network. So there's lots of um, boutique and small scale um, primary producers. So cheese, meats, vegetables, tomatoes, um, apples. Um, yeah, so yeah. there's also the some- hotel up the road, it's going parsley out the front. Yeah, yes. nice one, yeah. And we've got Talus as well, which is kind of, uh, uh, did I say east? That's the Pyramid Hills east of Bendigo? It's west of Bendigo, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Whoops, I'm confused. Um, and and then have, yeah, we have Talus, and we've got um, AI Australian Industries. AID, mm. Yeah. So we have we still have a manufacturing sector here, mm-hmm. um, but most of our economy uh, is in professional services and micro business. Actually, most of the employment in the city. So we, we service a lot of the country towns north of Bendigo, and then we're the gateway back into Melbourne. Nice, yeah. Yeah. Health so and a, education. Yep. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yeah, you got a, a, a train line going down to Melbourne or? Yep. Yep. We sure do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fast train, 90 minutes. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm. we just um, we just lucked out. Ballarat and Geelong are going very fast trains very soon. Ah. And, um, and we're not due to a few complications. 
<laughs> from a previous government. But yeah, we have a train back to Melbourne. Yeah, a lot of people commute. Yeah, so where did it all start? Who was here, say, 300 years ago? Well, that would be the Jajawarung people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they were here uh, th- 300 years ago, and they were also here 30,000 years ago, and possibly 50 or 60,000 years ago. And, um, and once, once again, Bendigo wasn't the s- very centre of their life because you know, there's not a river here, there's not a bridge here. You know, but, um, but their corporation is based, is based here, so they have, uh, they have quite a ro- wide region that goes north and south of here. Um, and yeah, they're, they're wonderful. They really, it was only a couple of years ago that um, the Jaja Run Corporation and had their agreements made with state and federal governments and, um, and we're actually seeing a lot of wonderful integration into our local culture now mm-hmm. already. So we had White Knight in Benigo and there's a big indigenous presence at that um, and we have uh, indigenous involvement with local government, the Catchment Management Authority, the Water Board, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it's brilliant. It's growing. Like everywhere, we're kind of realising what uh, Indigenous people can teach us about uh, how to manage the land, and, um, and as, as we heard at the New Economy Conference, about governance as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, you would have, you would have found um, <coughs> some fairly large trees here and some open woodland, and um, and we also have a quote from an explorer. You know the explorers who explored country that had been lived in for 80,000 years and named all the stuff? Yeah. Well, yeah. one of them arrived in Bendigo in yeah. uh, New Badgers, New Apple Tree, <coughs> That's right. New England. Yeah. Mount Disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of them arrived in Bendigo in 1851 and camped on the Bendigo Creek um, about 5Ks from here and described sitting next to a waterhole that had silver wattle leaning into it. The kingfishers were diving in, the platypus was swimming around, he didn't see another person all day and it was the most beautiful natural place he'd ever seen. Um, that's now a five metre deep concrete lined channel with housing all around it. So yeah, it would have been a beautiful place here. Mm. Yep, yep. And what happened? Gold. Gold was there. No, no European like after this bloke you were talking about wandered through and had a lovely little boil the billy by the by the side of the billabong. Um, Someone found gold and all hell broke loose. Right. So we had um, we had a huge Chinese mining contingent. We had uh, the Scots. We had the Welsh. We had mm-hmm. um, people from America. The the gold rush went absolutely bananas, and um, Benigo was right at the start of that. So. Um, what what was the Bendigo Creek and a series of waterholes um, is now sitting about 20 kilometres north and is about 10 metres high and is just sludge. So they turned over the entire the entire ground. But Bendigo, wow. we, we now have these incredibly beautiful sandstone buildings that are kind of like, um, you know, on, on the scale of some of the more beautiful sandstone 1860s buildings in Melbourne and we have them here. Um, there was a lot of wealth yeah. here back then. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's amazing. Now, um, not all of your gold miners would have got rich, I imagine. And, um, <laughs> and often hardship and, and, and toil and stuff um, can lead to people sort of 
forming together and grouping together to sort of meet their needs in a collective fashion. Was there any of that going on back in the day? Were there any old sort of co-ops or anything in town? There is. Um, there's a farm supply co-op, um, interestingly, um, which has been around for years, um, which is still going. Um, but I'm not too aware of the history of... We do. Uh, we've got the Stock Exchange was uh, in, in the good old days in the Beehive building. Yes. Yeah. Well, we have this institution in town called the Bendigo Bank that many people will be aware of, and mm -hmm. that was actually formed as a mutual, and the idea was to help miners own their own home. Yeah. So that was the birth of the Bendigo Bank, and the birth of the Bendigo economy was cooperatives. So we had butter cooperatives, and we had fruit and veggie cooperatives, and we had... Uh, farming cooperatives and there was a whole stack of cooperatives in Bendigo when it when it first started. Um, it ran ran the local economy. Um, There's not too many now though, are there? There's not too many not now. Not too many no. now, no. As no. in recent, um, Ian grew up in Bendigo, whereas I'm a an import. Blow so in. yeah, yeah, one of those yeah. blow-ins. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I only see yeah. what's now. But we also had. Um, you know, in Ballarat, they, they had the Eureka Stockade and the miners stood up and, you know, all the guns were out and, you know, all of that. Yeah, one of the beginnings of democracy, really. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, in Bendigo, we had the Red Ribbon Rebellion. Really? And, um, yeah, so that was a, it was a non-violent early um, political attempt at uh, fairness. Mm -hmm. That's probably the best way of putting it. Mm -hmm. No one got shot, I don't think. But it kind of it started to to you know help miners become aware that you know they actually needed to organise because uh, they were in a bit of trouble. So that was that was a and an one of one of many early little um, you know pinpricks on a timeline towards the Eureka Stockade in, in Ballarat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so how big is it now? Hundred and twenty thousand people. Hundred and twenty thousand, approximately. Yeah, it's yeah, mm. a good sized town. Yeah. yeah, and it's a good. Um, it's a it's a, a centre. We've got a new hospital in the last year, and so a lot of the people who live um, in the regional areas come into Bendigo for their healthcare. Um, yeah, so it's growing. Yeah, so I guess you know, looks looks pretty. Uh, Pretty up to date. It's part of the modern industrial civilization. You got hospitals and all these all the good things. Um, you get a decent latte down the street, yeah. which was a benchmark a few years ago, Scotty. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Yep. Yeah. Same happened to Braddon in Canberra. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. No more car shops. It's all lattes and trimmed beards now. <laughs> yes. Very very good. Um, so what are the? Uh, I mean, we've got these benefits to civilization, but what are what are the some of the some of the points of civilization that uh, an outfit like Beehive might be trying to, uh, to design their way around. What yeah. are the problems that we're looking at? We have a few, don't we? Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, uh, one of the suburbs, the suburb I actually live in, is in the top 2% of disadvantage um, in the state. Um, we have high youth unemployment. We have a, um, I believe the statistic is 60% of the population is obese. Um, so, yeah, um, we also have generally um, high unemployment, so there's a few social issues. Yep. And then, you know, we've got, um, we didn't really get the sharing economy mark one in Bendigo, 
Um, I don't think Canberra really got it either. Yeah, yeah, but the the platform capitalists are coming. We now have what's a uh, what's a platform capitalist? So um, somebody who invests in platforms. Yes, and uh, so you would be talking about your Ubers, and you'd be talking about your Airbnbs, and you'd be talking about your. Um, Apples and your Facebooks. Ah, so this is a web-based platform. Yes, right. we are building a web-based platform, and um, and w- you know you look at um, the Ford website, for example, and they have this wonderful two-minute video about the tech they're going to bring to towns around the world, and they're going to bring driverless autonomous cars, and there's going to be no road toll, and there's going to be no noise, and there'll be more cycling and riding, and it's just going to be wonderful. Everyone's going to be holding hands and stuff, and then you finish the video and you go, okay. No one in our town is going to be working in transport. Um, everyone in our town is going to be paying Ford for transport. And Ford's not from Bendigo, Ford's not from Australia. Ford is owned by shareholders over in another country. And they're coming. So, um, so one of the things that we're attempting to do is build a platform that our local town can build and operate and own. Um, to run our own peer-to-peer economy, because uh, the yeah the platform capitalists are uh, they are going to come here. Mm-hmm. So that's that's another problem we're solving. Um, but we also have um, you know we have social isolation happening, and we have the breakdown of community happening, and we have um, epidemics of depression and suicide happening, and we want to connect people again. And um, you know in the nineties, Robert Putnam was writing about. Um, he wrote his book called Bowling Alone, and, uh, and he was saying in America more people were watching Friends than had friends, <laughs> and uh, and he said we need a new era of civic invention because the the nineteenth century ways that we built around the industrial revolution economy are not relevant anymore, and people aren't coming together anymore, and we need to invent new ways to bring people together. So that's another problem we're solving so what have we done now we've done inequality mm-hmm. and we've done the platform capitalists mm-hmm. and uh, and now we've also done well-being but there's also um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a few other aspects to it um, you know our energy systems our transport systems our uh, food systems need to be locally operated locally owned um, and they need and our waste systems, um, you know, we need to be making things locally, fixing things locally, repairing things locally. So what we want Beehive to be is um, is is a bit of a, a conduit to help um, reinvent the way that we organise our local economy and run our local economy and manage our local economy and own it. Um, so we we we're setting up systems so that um, we can help all of these organisations in town set up cooperatively mm. and, um, and get involved again and create active citizens in a local place who are interested in democracy and as well as running their local economy. So, you know, yep. and then we have the big global ones like climate change and um, the fact that we've lost half of life on Earth since 1970. And so we're also building in aspects to, you know, restore the local ecology and to make sure that we're creating a, uh, a system that actually fits on Earth and belongs here. It's trouble with regional people. They're really so narrowly focused, you know. Yeah. <laughs> ah, well, um, but yeah, that, that, that touches on quite a quite a large range of, of issues. And, and 
it's really quite a diverse sort of spread of things. And is, is there a, have you come up with a, an analysis of all of these problems that, that is a, a common sort of denominator that might be sort of the keystone to be able to change and, and, and have the outcomes of what we do come out with a different result, I guess? Mm. Well, the, I read a good article on the weekend. It was that the unit of change is the neighbourhood. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we need to connect neighbours again. Um, you know, a true peer-to-peer economy starts with, you know, the very, the very local. So, and we're not talking there the, the suburb or whatever, we're talking the street. And um, so what we want to do is build an economy from the street up. So if we can create something that brings people together in their local street to build human connection, and to begin to organise to, to, you know, run your own local space and live in your own local place so that you can connect, you can communicate, you can run events and you can share access to things. And then to build up from there your local economy. So, you know, that might be, you know, we might start with peer-to-peer car sharing. So we might have a whole lot of what we're calling villages around Bendigo that are, that are connecting and, you know, but then they can actually um, help form and help be a part of and earn income from or get cheaper transport from a peer-to-peer car sharing service that goes across the town. You've said peer-to-peer a number of times. What do you mean by that? Person-to-person. Yeah, me to you. So hmm. instead of going to um, an institution for a good or a service, you go to another human. So, so instead of going to the shop to get your eggs, you go to Joe's place who's got some chickens. That's exactly right. Or you have uh, a local cooperative that is owned and run by the local people that is able to do it more efficiently with eggs in a local place. I don't know which one would work better, but you can get the free eggs from the people you know that have got eggs, or let's do eggs in a cooperative fashion for the local, the local town. Yeah, so you mentioned a, a village size, and I've heard, heard talk of a, a human scale of organisation. Well, what's the deal with that? What, what's wrong with really big scale stuff? Yeah, we tried big scale. Usually ends up owned by a couple of shareholders in uh, the United States or Russia. Um, and, you know, we, we're constantly talking about this word scale as if it's, you know, we need to scale solutions. and. Um, but all social change begins with local groupings of people, you know, and um, there's that famous quote by Margaret Mead, everyone knows that one about, you know, small groups of people, yada yada. She also had another quote that said, never rely on governments or institutions to solve any of your problems. The people have always done that. And, you know, that's where we want to start. You know, that's the building block for civilization that we, we look after people in local place. Um, so... We're building from the bottom up. Now, scale has a different meaning for us. We, we would like Beehive to scale to the size of Bendigo. Um, it might then scale to include smaller towns around Bendigo that don't have a critical mass to create some of the services that we want to create. Um, but then we would just like other towns to, to create their own Beehives from the bottom up or use the Beehive software or, or create their own word for whatever they're doing. But... Um, what we need to do is create the, the technology that um, any local place could use. So our idea of scale is not global domination um, and, you know, making a billion dollars in, in five-year period to satisfy shareholders. Our goal is to, to scale 
um, build something that scales to the size of a local place. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the results of some of those things you were talking about, the inequality and the, the disconnection of people, what happens if you start taking those people and just connecting them somehow? What's the benefit of doing that? It's really interesting, um, Scotty, when you live in a regional town like Bendigo. Um, I've always lived in cities, so as an outsider coming and living in the regions, you kind of make this assumption that... Um, that all of your neighbours catch up and um, that they know each other. Um, I, the suburb I lived in in Melbourne, um, we always used to get public transport, so we'd walk up and down the street. So on the way home, you'd see all of the... Um, there was a lot of Mediterranean families that lived there and they'd be sitting in their front yard. You'd say day to them. And then moving to Bendigo, um, the public transport system isn't as efficient. Um, so when you have a look at um, living in a suburb in Bendigo, most people drive, have at least one car. And so the interconnectedness isn't as much as you would think it would be living in a regional town, you know. So the idea of someone knocking on your front door and with freshly baked scones and, um, you know, a fresh pot of tea um, doesn't kind of happen in reality so yeah I see um, the the role of Beehive is creating the opportunity for people to actually say hey I've got a lawnmower um, and it's in my shed and if you want to borrow it then you can um, and to actually facilitate the reason for people to communicate with each other so I've seen in my suburb um, the bushfires in 2009 came through and whenever um, something happens that forces people to come out and interact with each other, um, it's amazing. It just happens really seamlessly and um, it, it's very natural. People really want to help each other. They're really concerned about each other. Um, but if there's no catalyst to make that happen, everyone just gets on with their lives. So I think when there's a, a, a reason for people to come together, I've noticed as an outsider moving into town, people love it. Um, they really respond well. I organised a, a, the only street party in 15 years um, in my neighbourhood and um, everyone came out and said, wow, we've lived here for 25 years and no one's ever done this before. But because they were invited, um, they, came, they came along and they really enjoyed it. We learned that one of our neighbours likes a bit of uh, brandy in his coffee thermos. So uh, <laughs> we learned that someone else is really good at baking. Um, yeah, and so now we all know each other's names in the streets. But it took, it took something. Um, so I see Beehive will create that opportunity for people to actually connect and communicate with each other. Because, yeah, I mean, currently we go to the shops, you know. And, um, in our cars. In our cars. Yeah, because um, there is no neighbourhood like, within walking distance, So, because uh, now it's all centralised, so yeah. everyone gets in their cars and goes to the shop, but yeah. That's right. But if you had your, you know, like we say, your person-to-person -person economy happening with, you know, transport and food and energy and, you know, stuff and whatever else, and who you are in your local community enables you to, um, to access the services that you used to go to corporations and institutions for, um, it becomes really important to build trust and build local relationships and to build community because that's the baseline for your, for your existence in your local economy. So yeah, um, you know, we think lots of people have tried the, uh, the neighbourhood sharing platform idea 
before there's been some great ones, you know, like um, Sharehood and Street Bank and whatever. But what they tend to find is people join the platform, meet the neighbours and don't need the platform anymore. <laughs> Which, in a way, is a good it's result. Good. It's done its job, that's, I suppose. That's right. <laughs> but if your access to, you know, and your ability to earn income from transport and energy and food and, you know, stuff and whatever also um, is also there, uh, you know, that means it's really important to stay connected and to stay involved. Mm, so you just brought in sort of earning an income and, and work, essentially. I mean, now work... I. It's one of my fascinations, and it's, it's, I think it, it too is one of those real linchpins of of, um, of our society, and it's, it's a really good point of intervention where we can we can get places. Um, so, what's the sort of what's the collective psyche as you see it around work? What does work mean to the community? Hmm. Well, I think we need to get rid of the idea of a job. Um, in the in the medium to long term, well, what um, is the idea of a job? Well, jobs jobs are actually invented. I'm going to have to rewind a little bit here, a couple of hundred years, and um, get into it. So Doug Rushkoff wrote "Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus," and he, a couple of hundred years ago. Ca- no, last year. Oh, you're <laughs> all over the place. But he told a story about a couple of hundred years ago and about the invention of the job. And you know, post post crusades in Europe, they brought the idea of the bazaar back from the Middle East. So remember when the uneducated Christians ran over to the Middle East trying to get Jerusalem back and all the really intelligent Muslims who invented complex mathematics and architecture and sewage systems and water and hospitals and everything. And anyway, they came back with the idea of the marketplace, the bazaar. And for about 100 years in Europe, you had marketplaces thriving that were peer-to-peer. So people would bring their skills to the market or their products that they'd made to the market. So say you're a shoemaker and you'd bring five pairs of beautiful shoes to the market um, and at the end of the day you'd go home without your shoes but with your eggs and your hammer and your veggies and whatever else. And, um, and that was a true peer-to-peer economy. Now then the, um, the aristocracy didn't like that because they weren't getting a cut. So they invented the chartered monopoly. So you had the royal shoemaker, and the royal shoemaker employed all the master shoe craftsmen, and then realised that was way too expensive because you can't afford them. So what you do is you employ people who can sew two bits of leather together and hand them on to the next person. So this is where the idea of a job came from. So before that, we actually had people who um, provided enough value in their local economy to get what they needed to live. And after that, you needed a job. Yeah, so what you're describing really is the the sort of the origins of the Industrial Revolution, really. Yes. Yeah. That's right. And from there, it just got better and better. Yeah, that's right. It was wonderful we had it. It wasn't that wonderful. What a party! (laughs) But, yeah, yeah, you know, one of our ideas is that, um, yes, if if we set up a peer-to-peer car-sharing service, you could put your car into it, you get an income from that. You could be a member of the cooperative that earns income from you know a profit that cooperative might make. You you can pay and get cheaper access to to a car. Um, but if this if this works, and 15 years down the track, um, you know you can put enough value into that network to get what you need to live. Then the idea of a job and work and income completely changes. Mm. So that's that's one of the things that we yeah we we will track over time. But it'll, it, we want it to start with, 
you know, money in exchange for services because that's where people are at, mm. you know. Mm. And so I guess yeah. the permaculture mob call that a, a, a yield and get yourself a yield for the energy that you put in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess at the moment, I guess our, our, our whole lives, because we have to go to the shop because that's where things are available, we need to earn a living, which gives us the money to go and get the things we need. But you're saying that part of the idea of the beehive is that you will be able to either get the things that you need without a charge or you'll reduce the cost of getting them quite a lot. Yeah, for example, if you can, um, if you can borrow your neighbour's car when you need a car, so um, a lot of people in um, Bendigo have at least, if there's two drivers, two adult drivers in the house, they'll have a car each. So, um, and the statistics around the amount of time that the car spends not being driven, either because it's driven into work and it's just parked on the street whilst people go into work all day, um, or that, um, yeah, they um, might get a lift with someone else, but they're, they're paying for these cars that are just sitting um, and not being used. So through Beehive, if you can access either a lift with someone else or you can access your neighbour's car. So in uh, people who live in large cities in Australia have access to car sharing, commercial car sharing companies, but that doesn't exist in Bendigo. So if I want to um, use a ute, um, I have to go to a commercial ute rental company, whereas my next door neighbour has a ute. So um, with Beehive, what we'll be looking at is the ability to share um, the assets that exist in your immediate neighbourhood. So, if you want a new, if you want to cut your grass, you know, <laughs> when you live in central Victoria, there's only a few weeks every year where you actually need to cut your grass. But everybody's got a shed with a lawnmower in it, um, and it gets used, you know, um, maybe 10, 15 times tops a year, and then the sun comes out and all the grass dies off. Um, I think our whippersnipper um, has been used. I can safely say it's been used once this year. Um, but we've all got whippersnippers in our shed. So we all go out to earn money to buy the whippersnipper, the lawnmower, the ute that um, sit unused. So the idea of Beehive is, is that we can um, encourage not only the connection of people through that transaction, but also the, the reduction in the need for people to spend money on things that just don't get used. Mm. And so if you don't need to necessarily go to work quite as much because you don't need that much money to meet your needs. Well, what does that open up for you? Well, um, I mean, I guess it's you... this crazy idea called culture. Ah. Yeah, mm. and uh, Indigenous Australia had, um, had this down path. You, you actually, um, you can spend more time with your community, you can spend more time with your family, um, you can spend more time getting interested in things that you're passionate about and getting involved in them. So there are so many people working in the industrial economy who they, they love native plants or they love their local sporting club or they love the visiting art galleries on the two weekends off a year that they get to go and have a look at an art gallery. And, you know, we, we need more of that. We need more, uh, more music. We need more theatre. We need, you know, and that, that's, that's what happened in Indigenous culture, you know. You, you actually had time to spend together and look after each other and uh and you know that's that's what we need to do that's that's actually deeply who we are as human beings you know we need human connection like we need air to breathe and um you know the 
the research by Lisa Berkman that said if you've got strong links into your local community, um, it's better for your health than giving up smoking, alcohol and fat, and it adds 10 years to your life. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a quality of life thing. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Mm. And I guess at the moment the statistics look at the sort of the trade-off between time that you have, your spare time, and, and how much time you need to spend gleaning your living through work and, and the, the balance is shifting quite radically towards spending a lot of time at work, especially if you need more than one job. But then you have a look at what happens when people spend a lot of time at work, the value that they place then in convenience items. So if you have a look at the ready-to-go meals, you have a look at highly processed food, um, because people don't have the time to go home and cook a meal from scratch. They don't have the time to grow veggies in their backyard, harvest those vegetables. So when you have a look at traditional, um, just being able to live sustainably off the land, um, you know, you have your peach tree and then you preserve your peaches. So you can actually eat peaches all year round from your preserving jars, but people now, they don't have time to do that. So they'll go to the supermarket and buy, um, uh, they'll buy products that are imported um, and then we have farmers who have beautiful fresh peaches that they can't sell them um, at the price for um, that it costs for them to produce them um, because, you know, we don't have the time um, and we just want things better, faster, quicker. So to answer your question, I think that, you know, the, a community with time on its hands is um, a, a very inviting prospect. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's pretty interesting. So you, you've, you've introduced the... Uh the, the concept of a, a web platform, so, and yeah, one of your design principles is that it's place-based and that's where the local that we've talked about comes in. So you, you've created this, this uh, an internet space where people can meet each other, inform each other of what they have that's up for availability for other people to use. And 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 so we reduce, are reduce their reliance on work. Okay, so you're designing it at the moment. Or? We're designing it. We're we're fundraising for it. One of the things about tech is that you you need to build the tech, which takes time and also takes money. Mm-hmm. So we're we're fundraising, and um, and if there are any people out there that are interested in giving. Boy, do we have the project for you! Absolutely. <laughs> um, so we, you know, because you do need, um, you do need, uh, you do need money to build tech. So we're, we're, I mean, we're also talking to international cooperative tech platform partners who've already built some of the elements of the tech that we want to build. Mm-hmm. So you know, Share Tribe in Finland has built great um, sharing economy software for stuff sharing, and Modo in Vancouver have built car sharing software that they've been running that business for 20 years and they're really they're both open to um, to sharing it with us for our local place so you know there are ways of getting the tech happening um, the biggest pieces of tech that we do need to develop are identity management and uh, reputation management software because um, you you know on Facebook you can set up you know you can call yourself Fred Nurk and you can cause all sorts of damage um, you need to be you in this local economy and that also changes things around because you need to own your own data and control the use of your own data as well. So um, identity management is really important um, and so is reputation management software. So you know, in one of the advantages that we have is we live in a town of 120,000 people and 
and everyone knows someone who knows someone. So if Claire does something silly, I've heard about it within 20 minutes because of our social network. And, um, and so we, we all have reputation in Bendigo already, and people have that in local place. You don't have that at huge scale. And, uh, and what we want to do is enable people to use their reputation and build reputation to, to participate in your local economy. And, you know, and a tech platform can also connect people with similar passions uh, across a wider area. So there might be people who are really interested in, in um, you know, peer-to-peer -peer food systems, um, but they don't know the others in town. So, you know, if you, on, on Beehive you'd be able to connect and then you'd be able to set up your own cooperative systems to run something that you're, you're passionate about, but you use your reputation to get there. So they're two big things that we, we're, we're actually having conversations with a couple of organisations that are developing identity and reputation management software, but those are two things we really have to nail. Mm. The thing that um, sets Beehive apart from other, that there are other um, solutions that you can go to um, if you want to um, share things, as Ian said, like on Facebook. Um, and when you think about it in the city, um, you can do car sharing, you can share your um, stuff, you can share your skills, but they're all across multiple platforms and the majority of those platforms are overseas owned. So, um, I mean, Airbnb and Uber are, you know, very large peer-to-peer -peer networks that everyone's familiar with. Um, so f the concept of Beehive being um, like we have the mothership in the centre of the hive which um, will control your identity and your reputation and then as it grows there will be um, apps or you know, opportunities um, for peer-to-peer -peer sharing so it might start with you know you join your village and then you can stuff share um, and then there'll be the opportunity for you to share your car then so that's a whole different if you think about it now in the marketplace they're all separate apps that aren't connected to each other so what we're looking at setting up from a tech perspective um, to our knowledge hasn't been done before because we're going across different modalities so you can share your stuff you can share your car um, you can then do um, you share your skills or your time so they all operate at the moment individually but we're looking at pulling it all together underneath one um, umbrella and the ownership of that umbrella is by its members so that's another key point of difference to what exists in the marketplace so when you go out to funders um, and you have the conversation with them about Beehive you explain it to them and, and they get the um, it's like it would be like going out and selling a wheel of a car without anyone ever seeing what the car is. So you go, well, I've got this part, and you know, and we want to pull all these things together, and it's going to be awesome. But nobody's ever seen um, <laughs> what it looks like in its entirety. Mm -hmm. So it's a process of educating people. This is what it could be. This is what's working around the world, um, and this is what we want it to be. So. It's not like saying, um, you know, we want a grant to set up a food pantry or we want a grant to set up stuff sharing or we want a grant to set up car sharing. It's like we want a grant that sets up a place-based peer-to-peer platform or we want funding to do that. Um, the people that traditionally invest in software want ownership um, and because we're a cooperative structure, 
um, it, it's a fantastic opportunity for community development, um, yeah, generating a local economy. So really, if someone is out there, um, mm. it's a fantastic opportunity. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. So um, we haven't actually explored the, the village idea. Um, how big is a village in this case? Hmm. Well, um, <clears throat> scientifically, we uh, lots of studies have shown that we uh, we can have up to 150 close friends in our social network, and um, out of all the great apes, we have the most friends. Um, so. You know that. How do you go with your four friends, then, Ian? Very <laughs> funny, Claire. <laughs> Where do I go from there? <laughs> me and my uh, me and my four friends are gonna no, but um, villages work in in a number of different ways. Um, we we think pe- we'll, we'll allow people geographically to spread um, as far as as you know up to five hundred meters away from their house in an urban setting it might change in a more regional setting because there's less neighbors there's less people but you don't want too many people in your village because you you'll you, you start to become acquaintances like we have on Facebook um, you know you don't want your you know your high school acquaintances in your village you know it's nice to see that they've got three kids and just put you know something on their house or something on Facebook every now and then but village is different. Um, so you might actually look geographically at your village and we'll have tools in there that you can actually spread that or subtract that depending on the type of person you are and, and what but you like and how many people you know. You also have natural boundaries. So when I think of the suburb that I live in, I, um, there's an oval. And so the people who live on one side of the oval get um, use a different bus stop they use different um, they use different um, public infrastructure than the people who live on the other side of the oval mm. um, and it's in Bendigo the train line goes through Bendigo and also the creek goes through Bendigo so there's sometimes there's natural dividers of um, communities but it's basic it's based on the streetscape so the village mm. is based on where you live so it's not um, yeah it, it's based on where you live but it's also based on what your local things that you're interested in so if there's a local oval or a local park or, you know, you've got the water playground across the road from you, mm. um, we're also looking at, you know, you can set up a village around that. So you might have a com- local community group or whatever. So when you are on Beehive, it'll, it, you'll see your neighbours and you'll see your neighbours' stuff that they're sharing and messages from your neighbours and local events from your neighbours. But you might also be able to include the local community groups that you're involved in and you'll also see posts and events from them. And then you also have a larger network in your town. So you might be able to add your friends from across town that you might (coughs) work with or um, play sport with or whatever, because you might want to see what's happening in in their village. Because if they're having an event and it's your best mate and they live, you know, three k's away, you might be like, I want to know when they're having their street party because I like that community too. Mm. So people will have choice. It's like um, it's like with any cooperative, you have voluntary and open membership. Mm. So you, you you actually need to be able to you buy in and buy out how you want. So everyone's village, when they are online on Beehive, will look different to everyone else's. Wow, village. so you've got a personalised, customised mm. village, which is sort of changes according to which layers and which apps you're using yep. in yes. the whole Beehive yeah. conglomerate. Yeah, and that means that then you're truly connected. Mm. Yeah. Ingenious. 
Right, so, okay, so that's your basic building block, really, and we, we've talked about the, uh, the sort of the commons aspects of, of uh, providing for yields and, and reducing your cost of living, but now when it, when it comes to actually making a living, that's the sort of scale up from your village, and, and how, how would that work? Because it's sort of larger, more complex sort of things like work. Yes, so we, we think the numbers are pretty good there. People in Bendigo spend $2.5 billion a year on goods and services, and we have 120,000 people here. That's a lot of money. We might actually have enough here. Mm. So imagine if those dollars were actually um, going in and out of um, you know, people's pockets around town rather than going to Coles and then leaving town or going to Ford and leaving town. Well, um, I like um, Rob Hopkins from the Transition Town Movement. His explanation of this is, uh, think of a great big bucket sitting there and it, it's full of a liquid called wealth. Yes. And each time a company or a, a person from outside comes and sets up a business around that bucket, that puts a hole in it and it starts going out. Yeah. And the more holes you have, the less wealth you have in the bucket. But yes. if you're doing it all inside the bucket, yeah. it just stays there and everybody's quite wealthy. That's exactly right. And, and with a different kind of wealthy too, maybe. That's mm, where, what do you mean there? Well, maybe we're, um, we, we have enough money to, to feel like we've got enough to survive and that is the definition of wealthy. Um, but we also have um, social wealth and we have ecological wealth and we have community wealth. Um, you know, in the financial crisis in Spain, um, they got hit really, really badly. But Mondragon, the area that is run 90% by cooperatives, was fine. And, uh, and if we've got a network of cooperatives running our local economy here, it's the same sort of thing. Cooperatives have to look after um, they have to look after cooperatives. So, yeah, we, we kind of think that... Um, we think there's enough money here. Um, you know, take cars, for example, as well. You know, the, the, the federal government data in, uh, on cars is that it costs at least $10,000 a year to own and operate a car. Now, we have 120,000 people here and we have 80,000 cars. So we have enough money here to all have access to transport with the money that we're spending on cars. I haven't actually added 120,000 to 80,000, um, multiplied those two things, but it's a big number. It is. So it is. we sort of think that, um, you know, the, the Beehive Cooperative, if, if we get going, is gonna have, it's gonna have more than enough money to, um, to operate itself and to build its tech and to upgrade its tech and to manage itself. Um, but it doesn't have to, it also doesn't have to create 20% for shareholders which is what goes wrong with a lot of businesses. You start out with a really good idea and then it gets to a certain point and the shareholders start to buy it and then you have to pivot into... Um, are we allowed to swear on your radio program? No, nah, you'd best not. Okay. This so gives me an you, you're, you're, allowed to, <laughs> you're allowed to pivot into something that is a not a good idea anymore but extracts money from people. So we don't have that problem here I mean we, we will actually have to these cooperatives will all have to be well managed and they'll have to be financial and all of that just like any other business but we don't have to extract money from communities that money is going to stay in those communities so an example of how um, if you have a car like at the moment my car is sitting at home on the nature strip so you ask the question about you know how, how might it look for jobs mm -hmm. um, so right now my car could be earning me money 
um, but it's not. It's costing me money. Um, so developing apps where people can um, trade their skills, but they could also sell their skills. Um, people um, at the moment, if you want something um, picked up from one side of town and taken to the other side of town, if you don't have a ute um, and you don't know anyone who's got a ute or a trailer, um, with Beehive, you'll be able to connect in to those people and then pay them to do that service for you. So there will be an opportunity for people to generate an income um, in, in just a, those few examples. So obviously, um, they're still subject to all of the same industrial relations legislation. Um, you know, they still have to pay tax on their income. So we're not proposing that they kind of avoid all of those systems. But as Ian said, instead of the money going via organisations that take the profit outside of Bendigo, we'll be looking at keeping the profit within Bendigo. Yeah, right. So you've you mentioned co-ops. And are you going to use that sort of whole work situation for to, to encourage co-ops to begin? Or yeah. will they, are you just hoping they're going to emerge sort of on their own? Or? We, we can have three types of members of our cooperative. Mm-hmm. Um, we can have humans. Yep. and we can have charities mm-hmm. and we can have cooperatives and the whole idea is that we are kind of like an incubator for local cooperatives so if someone wants to set up peer-to-peer car sharing um, we, we can help them um, we've been through the process Woo! <laughs> but we can help them go through the process to set up their own cooperative to run car sharing in Bendigo and it plugs in with us because you know we've created the identity and the reputation and the payments and the villages software um, but they can run that as their own cooperative in, in Bendigo. So, yeah, we want a network of cooperatives and we want the local people of Bendigo to be building them, operating them and, and owning them. And, um, you know, I was, you asked about financials and, and um, you know, just to delve deep into our financial models for a moment, we, we kind of modelled what it might be like if we had five peer-to-peer cooperatives um, operating in Bendigo and 10,000 members. And, um, you know, Beehive could be turning over $10 million and we could be raising $2.5 million a year for charity and those cooperatives would be turning over $35 million. That's that's only a few of them. So, you know, we we do get lots of people saying, but how are you going to make money out of this? It's like, well, you know, we we will earn an income as part of the Beehive cooperative and everyone else will earn incomes as part of the other cooperatives. Um, and then other people might get work in Beehive. We'll need lots of people working in all different aspects of it. Um, yes. So the money really isn't a problem. It's just that people can't really get their heads around the idea that we don't want to make a profit out of it. Yeah. That's yeah. what people, like funding bodies, sort of look at us and go, so what's... Well, I don't quite get what's like, how we, what, what are you doing this for? Well, you know? exactly. And that, how have you found... Because this is a really novel idea, and like you were saying, it, mm-hmm. it's really... A bit difficult to get new ideas across. It, it is, um, especially if they're completely novel um, and right outside of our experience. Um, how have you found that experience? What have you been using, uh, and have you found any good successful ways to, to bring a new idea across to a whole community? Yeah, I think we're getting better at telling our story. Yeah. Um, we had a we had a pitch night here a year and a half ago, and a hundred people came and they donated $35,000 to the project, which has funded us up, up to this point. We're all working voluntarily on, on Beehive, but that money's enabled us to, to um, you know, get to the point where we are. Um, 
obviously venture capitalists don't want to know you um, impact investors are interesting we have great conversations and then they tell us we have to change our model otherwise they can't invest um, so they, they're, they're interested in, in investing for social and environmental good so long as they make a 10 to 15 percent profit <laughs> um, so and then the um, we're, we're sort of putting our fingers out into um, the uh, 100-year-old cooperative and mutual sector because they don't really understand digital cooperatives and so we're, we're sort of reaching out now to them and saying, look, there's a whole world out there of digital cooperativism and we could actually work with you on that um, and you've got some wealth and you could put some money in. We're talking to local governments around Australia. so. We spoke at the um, the MAV conference in Victoria, the Future of Local Government conference, and we're talking to ten local councils around the country on who are interested in having Beehive come there. We're developing a relationship with our own council. Um, we're looking at grants, so there are we're trying we're trying lots of different things. Um, but you know, like you say, it's this is a pretty innovative idea, even at the New Economy conference. So nationally, mm-hmm. um, it's so it is it is a bit tricky. It, you know, it's been a roller coaster ride the last yeah. couple of years, isn't it, Claire? It has, and I think it, when you say you know what's been the success of it, um, it's very much a work in progress. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I, but I think what in the areas that um, I feel that we've been successful, it's listening to people's questions and objections to it. Um, and then addressing those with um, well thought out solutions. So we've, we're used to presenting now to people um, and um, you know we, we have answers to their objections. Um, where we're, like our next stage is to um, make sure that the people that we're speaking to are in a direct position to help us um, and to fund it and have an appetite because you have to have an appetite um, for risk you know, like uh, um, it's mitigated risk, but you still need to have an appetite because this has never been done before. But the consequences or like the, the, the outcomes have never been achieved either. So when you have a look at Bendigo with its obesity, its disadvantage, its unemployment, its isolation, mental health issues, um, it's screaming out for a solution. Um, and so you can't you can't just you know do a pitch night and say woohoo this is what we're doing and expect within two months <laughs> um, people are going to go yeah great that sounds fantastic come on in and roll it out you know we've got a spare X amount of money that we're happy to give you um, the kind of people that um, affect change on that level um, move at a glacial speed so it's just, we, we, we're strategically approaching all of those organisations as Ian just listed out um, but it takes time but we're about ready to pop like as in um, the, all of those conversations it's like you know stoking the fire um, and they're all, they're all making the right noises um, that it's going to take off um, yeah so we're, we're optimistic as Ian said we're all we all do this, we all run professional service practices um, and we're all doing this as volunteers. Um, and yeah, we are optimistic that it will work. Mm. And we're all, you know, we're, we're also looking at, um, you know, international panel on climate change reports and, and uh, global biodiversity reports and, and we're going, um, okay, they're bigger problems than what we are facing in trying to get this going. Mm. And we've got something that might actually 
create an economy that has a chance of, of working here. And the world's quite interested in what we're doing. Like we spoke at a conference in New York last year and we were invited to speak at a conference in Hong Kong this year as well. So the platform cooperativism movement is um, very much behind us and very supportive. Um, yeah, the Commons movement is aware of what we're doing and they're um, very much um, yeah, supportive and encouraging of what we're doing. So there's a lot of people watching yeah. and they're excited too. Yeah, fantastic. And what, what sort of pushback have you had? Because you know, our, our society does have a lot of inertia in it and, and the way things are keeps a lot of people with power happy and this is obviously going to take a fair bit of that power away from them. And mm -hmm. what, what sort of reaction have you had from, the, uh, from that sort of side of town? Uh, well, the, I mean, venture capitalists aren't interested in talking to us. They just don't want to know about it. Don't want to know about it. And as I was saying, the impact investors don't really want to, they want to meet with us because it's a really, you know, it's got, the project will have a lot of impact. Ooh. But they're not interested in putting money in because they want to make, want to make a profit. Um, you know, local government always moves a lot slower than you would like, but we, we have great relationships with our, with our local council. Um, you know, occasionally you hear rumours from people in town. So um, I heard recently that there's, there's a couple of people in town that think that we're on the pay of the Illuminati, uh, you know, local Agenda 21 communist one world government scenario, and that's why we might be doing this. So there, there is... Haven't you joined? Are you actually getting money from that? Is it a thing? Oh, yeah, totally, totally. No. Robbed. Making it all up. Robbed. Yeah. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, occasionally you get pushback. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that we've had, you know, negative pushback from people. It's probably just people people ignoring or avoiding it. You know, like, it's probably too different for, you know, really old school economy to understand or get its head around or even want to get its head around so there's probably people not engaging with us at all um, but we haven't had you know we haven't had people yelling at us or no. haven't had a placard or we haven't had a you know someone turning up at an event saying that we're you know mm. we're yeah well, when I look at this it, it strikes me I mean many people will talk about communicating through values and, and the values that are inherent in all of this are already spread throughout the community. They're really common values. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Nobody's really going to have much of a problem with it, I imagine. I think that mm. I wouldn't... I would say that what we're experiencing is not pushback. It's... Um, if, the, if it's the right word, inertia, or mm. um, the, the, they understand the theory of it, but they can't... Um, they struggle with the visualisation because co-ops aren't as common as they used to be. Um, and it's really interesting when you have get involved with the beehive conversations what's become normal so it's become normal that if you want to um, set something new up that um, you just go out and get money and you give over a percentage of ownership um, in it, it, you know you, you get money in but you have to give you have to give up something so um, and that you you do things for personal gain not necessarily for the gain of the community so I think um, I would say that we haven't had pushback, but what we've had is maybe apathy of kind of like, or confusion. Oh, well, oh, oh, so you're not personally gaining from this. Um, you want money, but you, but actually, 
Um, we, we can't own it and extract it. Mm, okay. And you actually want people to be happier, healthier, more connected, and you want to reduce the amount of consumption and the amount of waste. Ooh, Ooh, like a con. You know, <laughs> isn't it a bit too good? And yeah. how are you going to do it? Oh, it's going to be online. Oh, but you know, you know, and, and yeah. And so, and it's very interesting because when you have a look at um, the uptake of platforms where um, you probably shouldn't trust them. Um, because of what happens at the back end, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about um, the use of data. Um, and here we are doing, you know, um, it's almost as though people are like, no, 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 that, oh, there must be some catch to it. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, the thing I like about this, one of the questions I often ask myself when I, when I hear about web-based A or B is, what's going to happen when you get the blackout for a week? after the bushfire's been through or something. Well, you see, as a result, if, if Beehive was in your community, you'd know who your neighbours were hmm. and you could go around and knock on the door and go, mate, when didn't you have that solar fridge? You know, <laughs> we got but, a blackout. And wouldn't it be like, when people start to get the idea and we start getting people saying, oh, we could actually do, we could do this with energy. Mm. It's like, oh, wow. And a whole other sector opens up and joins in with Beehive. Well, we... What about what about data and storage and uh, what about owning our own internet as a town? What's mm. wrong with that idea as well? Let's mm. do that. Yeah. Let's own the poles and wires that do power. You know, we've now that we've got to this point, it's like, oh, there's a section of the economy that we're losing money and not being able to work in and all that. Like, let's actually work out how we can do that cooperatively and bring bring that into the fold as well. So down, mm-hmm. down the track, like there's all sorts of ways we could do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. Um, now, an important thing in all movements is maintaining a healthy culture and avoiding burnout and, and this sort of thing. How have you been going with that one? <laughs> it can be really difficult to get over. Yeah, well, we, especially in the beginning stages. It's been interesting. So, from a, um, I can only speak for me personally. Um, I, um, yeah, I one of my very close friends passed away at the beginning of the year, mm. and so I kind of, um, I dropped out a bit um, as I was going through the grieving process, and without quite realizing that I was dropping out. Um, um, but as a group of people, we actually really like each other from a friendship perspective. Um, and so we check in on each other. Um, and it's been far from ideal in terms of having to carry each other through those kinds of situations. Um, but all of us have to earn, um, you know, we, we all have, a, well, I mean, I can speak for myself, but, you know, I run a full time professional service practice. So we have to put those boundaries in place. Um, but it's hard because um, we could spend every spare minute of our day working on Beehive. So we're actually working very hard to support each other and to um, be very strategic in what we take on. I think in the early days we took on a lot of stuff. Um, now we're really being strategic about Rido. Um, what what are we going to do? Um, and now the conversation is who do we need on board um, to join us? So we're um, about to bring more um, board members and advisory group members on board. So one of our things we said at the beginning of the year was we want to model best practice governance. So um, part of that is acknowledging um, who's in the tent. 
um, where are they up to and who's on the outside that we need to bring into the tent. So that's the process. We're about to put some adverts out there for um, bringing in the skills and the expertise that we need. Mm. Um, so I think, I mean, I think we've been great at acknowledging that we were either burnt out or at the very, we were like, you know, like really kind of close, hang, yeah. really close or hanging mm. over that cliff. Yep. Um, but yeah, because we, we all have, a, you know, like we respect each other as human beings and care for each other as human beings, we're kind of, we check in on each other. Um, on a regular basis and I think that helps from my personal perspective that helps um, but yeah life gets in the way sometimes Scotty you know like it, <laughs> it can be really you know on a human level stuff happens that you didn't you know you don't schedule people dying um, mm, and speak for yourself <laughs> but I think I, I mean the, the only thing I'd add to that is that um, you know we you know, we've been really looking at after each other, but you know, I, it's this is out of all of our comfort zones. We've, we're creating something we think is pretty wonderful, but you know, I've spent 20 years as an environmental educator and facilitator and MC, and I've worked with you know corporates and communities and government and schools. I've done environmental theatre, and you know, Claire and I've set up a co-working hub together, and I helped set up the Bendigo Sustainability Group. But this is a, a whole level of out of my comfort zone you know so I you know I've had up and down moments this year big time that I've that I haven't had before and some of them have coincided with international panel on climate change reports and some of them with biodiversity reports and some of them with the fact that the you know the platform capitalist economy is coming within the next five or ten years and I'm going to take all of our privacy and all of our work away I mean, I'm driven by and have always been driven since listening to David Suzuki in the late 80s by how wonderful a world could be, but also by how terrifying the, the other is, you know? Like, if we don't all try what we can, we are in big, big trouble here. It truly and is a time to choose, isn't it? It yeah. is. And so I'm way outside my comfort zone mm. doing this, but this is the only place to be, you know. that I, I, I've spent my entire life looking at the old system and attempting to change the old system from the inside with great success, except that that system works really well. And, you know, this idea that we can keep living the industrial world... Um, when we only have one earth and then the conversation starts going on about oh look we could build domes on mars and like oh, i've seen the photos that is a terrible place to live you know what we actually need to do and you know well, you'd be able to set up a beehive there i don't reckon make it i don't reckon you know there's something about <laughs> a village of one there's something about air soil water you know, the sun the right distance away. Why would you give that up? I yeah. know. And yeah. really, like, it's isn't it actually a way, way more exciting challenge to work out how to, to, to actually decide this is home, you know? And that, you know, we're starting from the village, but we as a human race need to say, this is home. How are we going to do this, you know? And that's, that's as opposed a, to the mentality of destroying home and then working and out what the way the B plan is for those that can afford it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and to leave the house trashing party. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, how do people get in touch with you guys if they're interested in all of this? www.oldschoolwaybeehive, 
So the letter B and then H-I-V-E. So not B-E-E, but just the letter B. Yeah, the letter B and the word hive, beehive, dot C-O-O-P. Dot co-op. Yeah, that's it. Beautiful. Yeah, our contact details are on the website. There's a video um, on there that explains about Beehive. There's a copy of the latest prospectus, so that's got a lot of information in there. Um, Yeah, it's a great website. We've partnered with um, a local graphic designer who's made it very easy to navigate um, and very easy to get the information from it. And our contact details are on there. Yeah, great. Anything else you want to add before we wind up? It's just worth saying that, you know, this is, we're we're trialling, you know, one way of doing this here. And there are thousands of people in Bendigo and around the world that are trialling all sorts of other different ways. Um, We'd love to partner. We'd we'd love people to help. We'd like to help other people. Um, So, you know, if if you've got any ideas or questions or, you know, you, you want to talk to us, we'd love to talk to you. This is a movement we're all trying to build together. And it's not about um, us, it's not even about Beehive in the end. It's about can we create something that is um, socially and ecologically effective, you know, that allows us to keep living here. Um, you know, what did Dr Mary Graham call it? The, to move from a survivalist worldview to a relationist worldview. And, uh, and yeah, we, we'd love to talk to to people who, who want to be a part of that movement. Mm-hmm. And say if Canberra got organised and wanted to have a crack at it, yeah get in touch that'd be great yeah i'd love to do canberra yeah um on our we also send out a um a newsletter about every month um so if people want to follow our story they can go to the website and sign up to the newsletter and um, they'll we, we also send a lot of information via that newsletter not just about beehive but about associated conversations so yeah, people want a kind of a one-stop shop to be able to find out what's going on in the new economy, the commons, um, platform cooperativism, and yeah, how they can give us money as well would be fantastic. Canberra, would there be a bit of money in Canberra, Scotty, that would want to get behind this kind of thing? Do you reckon? I hope so. Yeah, I hope right. so. It's a reasonable sized bucket. It's yeah, so maybe bigger than Bendigo, yeah. but much smaller than. Uh, Sydney or Melbourne. Yeah, mm. so we should get uh, we should block some time out after this goes live on Scotty's radio show and uh, you know sit by and wait for the phone to ring. What do you reckon, mate? Oh, let's yeah. go. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, nice. Yep. We'll have the desks full. Receptionists will be waiting for your call. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ian McBurney and Claire Fountain. Thank you heaps, and uh, really good luck with it. It's a fantastic project. Great. Thanks, Scotty. And thanks, Scotty, and good on you for for doing the hard yards of getting this going and spreading the word as well. <laughs> All right, thanks. This interview was done in the studios of Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Community Radio relies on its listeners for funding. If you enjoyed this program and would like to hear more programs like it, please donate by going to 2XXFM.org.au, click Support 2XX, and then Donate, Subscribe, Volunteer, or Sponsor Us. Thanks.